I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. Tour of Autopia on at the moment. More on that later. Here with Benji for Paranese Stage 8 and Torino Adriatico Stage 7 recaps. Paranese first because this was as it always is, uh, one of the best stages to watch of the year. And it proves you don't need long stages to have exciting racing. 115Ks long, medium mountain all day. They have like six, it's all 6K, 6%. Then they have the Cote de Pelle, 65 7% descent through La Turbi. And then the cold has the final one, 6.1Ks, 7 6% before a descent finish into Nice. Roglic 47 seconds ahead of Yates starting the stage. Danny Martinez uh, in third, a little bit further behind on one minute. Adam Yates on 150, Quintana on 204. So, first surprise of the day, Benji. Yumbo were kind of hard pacing and a break didn't go. I thought they'd want those bonus seconds gone. Yeah, there were quite some attacks early on the stage on the initial climbs, as expected in a short stage like this. Plenty of people wanting to win the stage, and plenty of people trying to use the profiles to their advantage when they have a leader. So they'll try and send some riders up there and so forth. We saw attacks by uh, plenty of people, but I do want to note that Godou finally gave up on starting Arini, so that's a W, I'd argue, considering we've been complaining a lot this week that he was starting when he shouldn't have. Nonetheless, uh, Wout van Aert was already pulling on the initial climb, trying to crawl back, attacks and so forth. And at a certain point, he was reported to be attacking, but we didn't see any of that because it was simply not on TV yet. Reports that Yumbo kept control, plenty of people tried to attack, but it just went from van Aert pulling at the start of the stage to Kreisweg pulling at a certain point, and it really started kicking off the second that we reached the, uh, what is the name of that climb? The the hey, the one we expected it to kick off on yesterday in our uh, preview of it. With about roughly 50k to go in the stage, that's where uh, I expected action and plenty of people did. Now, Latour dropped off the back just before yep. that. Probably a mechanical or something because we noticed uh, during our months of research on the topic that he didn't have a, a number on his saddle. So he probably had to switch his... Uh, bike during that moment he was on the back so was trying to come back but it was Yumbo that once again was controlling the initial part of the climb with Kreisberg and so forth then it went to Dennis and once it went to Dennis it looked like Ineos was taking off with Freyler right yeah so that kind of helped Ineos because they're very light on domestiques here that can perform and Freyler's the only one really for Yates Adam Yates and Martinez and Freyler gets a, on tricky descents, a buff on this, on this sort of area, rainy conditions, cold, insane rider in these conditions in Medium Mountain, the Basque rider. So he was setting a hard pace. All of a sudden, the peloton is 20 riders. It's just been thinned out to nothing. Riders are dropping off the back, and we've still got 50Ks to go in this stage. 
if you don't know swift have the tour of Watopia on at the moment it's five stages if you want to check it out and participate in that tour of Watopia the online fantasy world in swift just one of them you can check it out at the link down below for a seven day free trial we will have the milano san remo swift lrcp ride along watch along next saturday further details to come thanks as always, to Zwift for supporting the podcast as our title sponsor. But yeah, Code to Pay, it was, I think, Danny Martinez attacking yeah. off Frailer's pace, and suddenly we had a group of five. And who was in there, Benji? Well, we noticed that Martinez was making that early move, and we saw that, well, one domestique of Yumbo was left, and it honestly was Quintana that seemed to be the first one responding for a little bit, until he realized that Wout was still there, because he looked beside him and saw Wout and then stopped doing the tempo. So Wout went to the front and kept the pace up for that group, brought back that attack by Martinez. But like you said, only a few people were left in that group, and that included the likes of Wout, Roglic, also Quintana, also Simon Yates, and Danny Martinez. So who's off the back? Adam Yates. And yeah. that's where we could ask questions, is that, a good thing for Ineos to lighten up the race at this moment? My personal opinion... I think that they're a team that has a 40 million euro budget. So if you're second in Paris, you're going to try and win Ineos. Uh, you're going to try and win Paris, even if it loses you the second and fifth spot. Yeah, I think the only thing they might have done differently was to attack first with Adam Yates, but yeah. he actually paced for a little bit, I think, beforehand. Uh, so I think he knew he wasn't going to have his best day. Strong attack from Martinez, and it confirms that Wout was doing his own tempo on previous mountain stages. If he's, he's here with the four best GC guys, Quintana, <laughs> Simon Yates, Roglic, and Martinez, and he's, here, he's there easily, and he just shuts this climb down completely. There's nothing those guys can do. Yates is 47 seconds before this stage behind Roglic on GC. Quintana, I think, just wants the podium, so he's not going to work. And yeah, Wout wow, just shuts it down on the climb. Roglic was pulling a little bit um, before. I don't think that's they really needed to do that. And then they get onto the descent, and boy, things started happening on the descent after this climb. By the way, the group behind gone. Forget about them. Yates <laughs> and Haig and Bahrain and McNulty gone. They're going to be, be a minute plus behind. The descent, technical, wet. There's bollards. Roglic nearly went the wrong way a couple of times when he was getting undressed. I was white-knuckling on my sofa watching this. You, this. you have to go and watch the last 45 kilometers of this stage. There's an intermediate sprint. Simon Yates goes for the three seconds. Roglic doesn't react and neither can Quintana. And Simon Yates takes the three seconds. I was like, why? But Wow takes the third spot. And what does Wout do? He secures the points classification at that point. The green jersey is his. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was kind of irrelevant at that point. I was like, all right, do you, you do you, Simon Felipe. And it turned out to be a big deal and every second counting. Because on that descent, Martinez, by the way, can someone listen, public service announcement to all world tour professionals. Don't sit on Danny Martinez's wheel on descents, particularly wet ones around Nice. Like Simon Yates was sitting on his wheel. I'm like, mate, you got, 
you're going to end your career here. Just move up. Quintana knows. Don't sit there. Anyway, Martinez is losing wheels. Eventually, don't know what he hit. He has a rear wheel puncture. And he has to have the rear wheel change, disc brake, takes a while. And then he's sitting in no man's land, which was a waste of time, I think. I think he cost himself here. Um chasing on this descent whilst you've got 75 kilo wout pacing. Uh, when there's the group behind with Frailer and Adam Yates and Haig and Poles for Bahrain pacing. So that's really unfortunate for Martinez. He looked very, very strong the last two days, perhaps almost as strong as Yates uphill puncture out of the race. We get to Coldez, Quintana. I don't know. I couldn't tell Benji whether Quintana was going for the stage. It, it doesn't make sense, right? Because if he's pacing, because Martinez is a minute four ahead yeah. of him on GC, so shouldn't he just steady pace with Wout to try and grow that gap out? I think he was trying to steady pace, but the pace wasn't necessarily the the tempo that is necessary to keep Wout at the back at that point. But he did make a bit of a move that, looked like it made Wout struggle because Wout yeah. went to the back of the group and started grimacing for a second. And at that one, I was like, okay, Wout did a great stage so far. It's nearly time. I think it's almost the end of Wout Fanat at this point in the race. And we see Quintana move forward. And then suddenly Quintana like slows down a bit. I'm not sure, like you say, I'm not sure what the reasoning was behind that. Either you're riding for third, so you have more UCI points or for the stage. If you ride for third, you do that steady pace like you mentioned. But this was a bit all over the place when it comes to speeding up, slowing again. And therefore, Wout just passed everybody again and started pacing at the front again. And it really took until the next attack of Simon Yates to really spice enough things on this climb. And that next attack was not the ultimate one, to be honest. He made a move. And the weird thing there is that at that moment, I think it was Simon Yates that was reacting first to Quintana. And... We saw Wout dropping, and we saw that Roglic kept a bit of a gap on Simon Yates' wheel. And I was like, that's weird. Like, on Quintana's wheel. So there was a gap there, and I was like, on paper, in a race like this, I'd argue that Roglic is in the wheel of Quintana instantly at this point in the race. And perhaps is even the person responding to Simon Yates in the first place, and not Quintana. So I thought something was off, but I was like, nah, copium. We need a competitor for Pogacar in the Tour de France. I can't think about this. This is not allowed. Roglic is not allowed to show weakness today for the Tour de France in the future. And then the next attack, well, was Simon Yates once again. And that was a, a stronger one, right? Yeah, Simon Yates always does a hard 30-second burst and then settles in, kind of similar to Pogacar, actually. And we saw Roglic, the elbows were flat out. It it was almost a bit – it wasn't planche de Belfi-like, but the, he didn't look comfortable like he would on the Vuelta steep sections back in like 2019. Um, he wasn't looking great, wasn't reacting. I thought maybe he's just letting Quintana pace him back, but eventually I was like, he's going to have to close this soon. It's at 15 seconds, 17 seconds on Coldez. Yates needs to take 40 seconds on the road to win GC because of the three bonus seconds he took at the intermediate sprint. Wouts dropped a little bit behind them, but Roglic doesn't respond and he actually has to wait. And it's Wout pacing the last three and a half kilometers of cold airs when it's not as steep at the same speed as Simon Yates. Incredible <laughs> performance. Because Yates took that 25, gapped everyone, everyone's on the limit. But then Wout yeah. did that last 10 minutes same pace but drop battle 
He dropped and he dropped not uh, is ridiculous performance. And Roglic, <laughs> like he was gapping Roglic off his wheel. It was insane. What percentage at that point? Coldes Roglic looking not good. Did you think Yates is taking this? The stage, I think it was still fifty fifty because. If they can keep the gap on 20 seconds on the climb or something, I was like, there's a descent coming, a flat section of two kilometers after that descent. We know that Vanad and Roglic are relatively good descenders. We also know that Yates is a good descender. But 1v2, usually you've got the advantage. But it was going to be close, I'd argue. And I think that there's this key moment right here where Wout is actively slowing down the climbing to keep Roglic in the wheel. And this might actually play a role on the outcome of this stage, in my personal opinion, but I'll get to that later. Once we get over the climb, it's roughly, what is it, 24, 23 seconds between Yates and the duo behind. And I thought, okay, it's still possible that they catch up and that Wout still wins the stage, because I'd argue that Roglic would probably be giving the sprint option to Wout if they catch up. That's at least how I saw it in my head. And they started to descend, and Simon Yates was taking such risky lines in descents, was going all out to every corner, compared to Wout and Roglic, who I'd argue that were taking it slower through corners. And Definitely. especially Roglic. When Roglic was at the front, it was slower than when Van Aert was at the front, and that's during the technical corners. And when it comes to these straight runs, that's when it started becoming Wout's territory again. So the gap went up and down and up and down, and at a certain point, it went to 28 seconds again in descent, to then draw back straight to 11 seconds. So uh, my nails are gone after the stage, so intense. And we came to the last three kilometers and how much was left? 11 seconds, something like that? 11 seconds. And I think Roglic and Wout were pretty done. Simon Yates, yeah, incredible descent. Wout being there on the descent, I think, made... I think think Roglic loses GC without Wout. I think, I think gone. It almost happened again. I can't believe it. Losing GC on the final day of Paris East, these tricky stages. Simon Yates himself lost GC on the last stage, I think, to Marc Soler back in the day. And now he's doing it to Roglic. It was so tense, as Benji said. And, yep, without Wout's big body on the descent pacing, where there's a lot of pedaling, I think Rolish loses 40 seconds plus. So they don't end up catching up to Yates. He takes a well-deserved stage victory for Bike Exchange. Jayco gives the biggest fright of Yumbo Business life this year. They end up second. Comfy. It looks comfy in the results. Just nine seconds after Yates with Wout and Rolich second and third. But, yep. Wow, brought that down a lot. McNulty led in the group behind on 144 with SKA Kung. Unbelievable performance from Kung. Yeah. Sixth, uh, Paddy Pantra, Adam Yates, Poles, Zagira Haig. So GC-wise, it looks boring if you look at the results. No order changed in the last in the first six. Uh, Roglic wins GC, 29 seconds ahead of Yates. Martinez keeps third. Then it's Adam Yates, Quintana, Haig. No changes there. Latour, the big loser of the day, moving from 8th to 14th. And Izaguirre, Almeida, Martin, Parry Pantra rounding out the top 10. But unbelievable stage. And I, I still don't know how you stop this happening to Roglic. If it's fueling, I don't know what it is. 
Is it perhaps chaotic medium mountain stages? We've seen it a few times with him. He's also benefited once from a chaotic medium mountain stage at the end of Itzulia, but that was more sunny weather compared to rainy weather. We saw Formigal uh, in the Vuelta two years ago, the rain jacket gauge uh, moment, also a, a chaotic medium mountain stage. Is it saw perhaps that aspect? But I also want to add in, while you said that Roglic won this thanks to Wout 100%, but Wout would 100% have won this stage if it wasn't for Roglic, in my personal opinion. Yeah, I think he probably had to wait a fair bit on the climb and the descent. Um... But worthy trade-off, I'd argue, based on winning GC, having the green jersey. I don't think even Wout will probably be a bit sad that he doesn't win the stage, but I think the team will be happy that they secured this uh, Paranese and they should be happy that they secured DGC in this race, to be honest. Do we learn something from this Paranese performance when it comes to the team of Yumbo? Let the break go. Let the break go. <laughs> Take those yeah. bonus seconds. Every second counts. And they know that, I think. You, you remember from last year, you think everything can look sunny and fine on stage four. I remember last year on Shrubla, oh, Rolich taking all these stages. And every second can count when shit hits the fan. Laporte. When Roglic gifted the stage for Laporte, there's four seconds. Yeah, like I think there is a there is a real tension where that Sky didn't have, and that's a problem Yumbo have. Wout is incredible, save GC today, but Froome doesn't give Kwiatkowski that stage that Roglic gifted Laporte. I don't think yeah. if there's Contador behind, they're like killer mindset every second for Froome, and I think. They need to have that mentality for definitely the Tour de France. I know it's Paranese, but for the Tour, and I think Dauphiné, if Roglic is doing that, every second for Roglic, you need to be a GC-focused team first. Um, but that's hard, as we said, because Wout, Wout's a superstar, and he should be allowed to go for green as well. So it's, I don't know, what do you think? Like, imagine, imagine if Roglic lost GC because he gifted Laporte the stage. That would have been huge. It would have been hilarious as well, but that would have been huge. I think that it still probably has a positive outcome on the team aspect then, because we repeated on the Laporte stage, gifting that stage to Laporte makes you certain that he's going to give his all on every single bloody stage for you the entire year, because that matters sure. a lot for a Frenchman in Paris. And I think that getting second in Paris probably sucks for Roglic if that happens again. But I think the value of having Laporte as an ultimate domestique is also valuable in that aspect, honestly. When it comes to what are good domestiques in this stage, I want to give a, a a shiny light on Fred Wright because he was the one pacing the entire time in the second group with Haig and, uh, and Pools doing lots of work for them. And he came eventually like on nine minutes and so forth, so he probably dropped towards the top of Coldez. But he did so much work in this stage that, honestly, he's been outrageously good this year as well a bit on the background though but at some point this man is going to break out i think he's very very good all-around bike rider that's why he's going to be in their tour de france squad don't be surprised if you see him in group one on one of the danish stages you're like what the fuck like it'll be Pedersen, van art and co and it'll be like fred wright could be there with colbrelli um he's a serious rider i want to also shout out we mentioned him again frailer what a pickup Looking so good for Ineos. Yeah. He was their best domestique this week. 
Um, I think, yeah, I don't know what's, what races he's planning on doing, but he was unreal. I do think, one thing we haven't mentioned, Benji, mm-hmm. Martinez puncture. Does that hurt oh, yeah. or hinder Yates? I think that... Or hurt or I think it's, help? <laughs> I don't think it matters as much necessarily. I think that Martinez would have probably been able to follow the Simon Yates attack, I dare to say. But I only think he would be able to help on the climb itself. Because knowing Martinez is descending, he would be dropped instantly on the technical parts of that descent and would not be able to help out Yates there. So I think he would have been a block on the leg of Yates in the descent while he would have been able to extend the gap a bit more on the climb. I don't think it would have mattered. And also Martinez wanted to win GC, I think. So he yeah. was 15 seconds behind Yates. Would that have introduced a finessing element? And they only beat Wout Van Aert by nine seconds. And so that was Simon Yates, 100% commitment. Maybe it actually would have harmed Yates to have another competitor there um, with a bit of games going on. And as Benji said, Martinez can't help on the descent. Would he have... But maybe he would have helped on the climb and opened that gap up up for Yates. I don't know. It's an interesting thought experiment. I do think Martinez is something I need to think about this week, what Ineos should do for the tour. He looks very, very good. He's got a yeah. competent TT. He's There's a high-altitude stage. The descending and handling is just the big issue. Um, but on. I agree, but I think that the Tour de France has the benefit of not having those technical descents yeah, that you have in the Giro sometimes. So perhaps that's the benefit there. You've got those large descents like, what is it, the climb that is ahead of uh, Granon, is that Galibier or what is it? Galibier, yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's just a long descent, not the most technical one. So on paper, I'd argue that that one should be doable for Martinez. But hey, I'm, uh, I'm holding the tail because I'm not sure about it. Anyway, very, very exciting Paranese stage eight. I think, yeah, Rolich takes, I think, his first ever World Tour GC win in France, in the country of France. Which, really? Yep. Wow. He's won UAE, Romandy, Vuelta. Um, what else? Algarve. But he's never won a World Tour level GC race because he crashed out Dauphiné. He crashed out Paranese last year and hasn't won the Tour. So... Got that bogey off his back, but still, I'm sure Yumbo will be thinking that was a bit close for comfort. Last note. Last note. Uh, commentator on Sportza, Jose Le Cower, ended the stage saying, uh, there's only one leader in Yumbo and it's Wout. <laughs> and the, the second commentator was uh, quick enough to correct him, like, oh, come on, Roglic is a leader too. Come on. <laughs> are, we already, are we already doing the world champs Imola thing? Was Jose... They're already doing the Robert should have pulled for WoW in the World Champs thing. That is funny. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think the tour is gonna it's gonna be interesting, but yeah, like it's also notable that today Wild was great, but he also rested up on the other stages compared to well rested up. Rode more relaxed than Rolich who went all out the entire stage. So I think that matters. The recovery between stages, the recovery in stages as an aspect as well to the ability of Wout doing that today. I don't think he can do this every single day. That's a good point. That's sort of a gain. You don't often see teams doing that during a Grand Tour. Do you cycle on and off domestiques? So that that. They should, I think, 
Like I know they had Coos last year. He seemed to come into his own. He was mm-hmm. supposed to be good second, third week, and he wasn't there first week. That's really something to be like, okay, this stage we don't need wow rest, and then you can be fresh for that stage. Um, yeah, that's a good point. We saw that with, uh, I think, wow pulls back in the days with in, in Team Sky, where in the early days he was uh, not necessarily there too much, still building up fitness, while in the last week he would then be the rider while they had other people to take care of the earlier week. So I think that's a point that actually matters and that some teams do that more than other teams. Anyway, that was Paranese Stage 8. Cracking finish is always an encourage you to go and uh, watch the stage if you have time. It's been an enjoyable stage for me and or race for me and Benji to cover. And uh, we'll move on to Terreno now. Terreno Adriatico Stage 7, a sprint stage from San Benedetto del Tronto, 159 kilometers long. Typically, this last stage was the time trial, but they flipped it, as you know, this year. The first stage, which usually was the sprint stage, was the TT. There was some medium mountain, nothing to worry about in the first 80Ks, then pancake flat on the coast. They do some circuits of this seaside town, which doesn't uh, shine anything on the Gold Coast. Gold Coast and Australian beaches still undefeated compared to European beaches. But as you can tell, not the most exciting stage from the sound of my voice. Um it was going to be a sprint, no GC action, decent weather, headwind in this sprint. And break got caught with Fellini, I think, or Buaro. They're the same person, and Arcas. <laughs> what do you see from Pog got on the front, Benji? Was he doing a lead-out for Ackerman? Is Ackerman still here? Uh, he is still here, but I wasn't expecting too much from that man in this race. And I'm surprised that they were, to be honest but they were trying to set something up. He was doing some work and it's probably to show that he is also willing to work in races where it's not that important for him anymore. And therefore the people that work for him will be more likely to uh, work harder or feel better when working for him when it actually matters. Like the same thing that happens with, um, I swear I said this like this week already where someone was working for someone and like, even with the Demko and Jakobsen thing, Jakobsen worked for Demko, for example, in one of those races. That's the kind of stuff I mean. And that's the kind of stuff that Pogacar is doing here for Ackermann. I'm not certain that Ackermann will be very helpful in many of the stages that Pogacar is leader at this year. But, yeah, I guess he's doing it for that reason only. Now, when it comes to the setup of the sprint there, we've seen the finish line a few times in the stage as it's that loop. And it didn't look like the most straightforward finish. It was kind of technical, some narrow sections in there. So it could be chaotic. but in all honesty, they got through just fine in the first few sections, but you know that the last time is going to be much more impressive. And with about 3K to go, I was seeing already problems for a lot of the bigger teams. Like, you know that quick steps here with Cavendish, and honestly, quick step from 3K to go, I only saw Osgren at that point in the race. They were, awful. They <laughs> they were, were not awful. at the front. And Lotto Sudal, same story, Ewan's not here anymore, but they were not sprinting for uh, him this time around. I think they were sprinting for... Was it Kluger on this stage? It felt like it because he was <laughs> yeah. sitting in the last wheel of that train and they did the same thing with Kluger as they do with Ewan, which is basically trying to put him in the front of the race with two and a half kilometers to go and let him figure it out. But it doesn't work with Ewan. How is it going to work with Roger Kluger? So yeah, that, that didn't go as planned, I'd argue. What teams did you see uh, as the strongest ones in the final two and a half kilometers? Well, FDJ said it's like you can take an aerial shot at two and a half Ks, three Ks, and be like, this is brilliant. Five men in Damar. 
and then 500 meters later, you're like, where the fuck is FDJ? Like, they just get swarmed. Israel, I think Dowsett did an incredible pull today. I think Dowsett was yep. he, typically his third last man. He's he doesn't says himself he has no interest being there in the last kilometer. Well, he was second last man, and Israel have been going too early in sprints for for two years now. They've gotten it solo here, and Dowsett did his best. He brought Zabel to like five hundred meters through this twisty chicane, and it was impossible to move up in the last. Uh, 700 to 400 metres to go, impossible to move up. Koi, you could already tell, Koi sprint, impossible to win. Cavendish, impossible. Merlier, impossible. Too deep, 25-wheel, it's not happening at that point. The problem for Nizzolo was we got a headwind in this sprint and Zabel was left on the front a little bit early. They were missing, say, Impey's second last man to really bring them closer. And but there was a power vacuum, Benji, and it actually turned into a complete mess. Like who was there? Well, we got Muschetti, Demar, Bauhaus. Anyway, our consultation will analyze the sprint afterwards. Um, it turned into a complete shit show. Narrow sprint. We're in Italy. We're not allowed to have just normal, safe, straight sprints with wide roads. And Caden Groves sprinting, trying to get a clear air. DeMar boxed in by Christoph. Christoph didn't do anything wrong on the barriers. And it's Bauhaus who jumps out at the last minute and nails Nitzolo. Nitzolo having a sprint into the headwind for quite a while. And, yeah, it's not the most exciting sprint stage, but I think that's Bauhaus' first ever uh, World Tour sprint win, Benji. So he proved me wrong. Oh, no, he won Polonia last year. Yeah, he won that sprint where he almost buried Olaf Koy last year in Polonia. But uh, in this sprint, we indeed saw that Israel was doing that setup on the left side. And it looked like it was Pasqualon that actually did a really good lead out for Christoph, in my opinion. And that allowed Christoph to move past Nizzolo in the final stretch and kind of block in Nizzolo. And that's the moment that I think was key for Nizzolo to losing his race as well. Because from that point on, you need to wait until Christoph passes him and then he's able to pass. But by that point, people are in his wheel ready to go over him. So... Ah, uh, that's where he loses the momentum, I think, to get something out of this. But he's also not been as strong as previous years, in my opinion, this year either. We saw that that Kofferdis sprinter was on the right, also trying to get something out of it. And the thing is, you see Demar and Bauhaus almost in the same position. Demar is in the wheel of Christoph once needs a already passed. Christoph and Bauhaus is roughly in that position as well. And they both make a different decision. Demar chooses to go in the small gap that doesn't exist next to Christoph on the left There's side. No gap. And Bauhaus chooses to go the entire other way of the road it's a a big move but i'd argue he didn't endanger anyone groves did have to move up a bit to the right but i don't think i saw anything sketchy in that move by nizolo personally uh by uh, by bauhaus i mean but um that's the difference in decision decision making bauhaus went for the open pod on the right side it's risky because if he doesn't have the time to pass everybody on the right by the time that the finish line comes he's not going to make it but he's able to stay in that draft significantly he he goes to the right at the exact right moment because that track sprinter moves back at that point and if he had waited two seconds later he wouldn't have been able to move to the right because that track sprinter was there so perfect timing in that move and that's what allows him to slingshot past other people and yeah we see some people of those sprinters like you mentioned like a Koi, a Medlir, and a Cavendish in the background coming closer and closer, but you won't win anything with that. 
you need to be in a better position when it comes to the sprint starting and that was not the case here Cavendish on paper has a decent lead out to bring him to these places but it wasn't there today at all and when it comes to Merlier on paper he's got a decent team around him to bring him to the front as well but is Ricard even here? I think he's out of the race, or was it? He's out of the race? race. He was sick. Oh no, no, sorry. He actually said he had a dead leg, like he. What? He, he, yeah. So when he was pedaling, he like was having nerve sensations in oh, his leg. Yeah. Um, and see, if you want to get that checked out? I've actually had something similar, so it's good to get that he's getting that checked out. But yeah, it was, it was a mess. Merlier looked a shadow of himself this week without. A perfect lead out with Bauhaus taking the win, head of Nitzolo, Groves, Chimelai, Dainese, Christoph, Bosenhagen, Koidemar, Moschetti, Malir 11th, Cavendish didn't contest, like, or sprint properly, 31st. So, yeah, good win for Bauhaus. I completely made up that he hadn't won a World Tour race before. He'd won three before today. Um, just <laughs> there quite a while ago. <laughs> he just won so many Saudi, Crow race, Hungary. Slovenia stages that I forgot. Yeah, but like I'd argue that Bauhaus is not a first or second tier sprinter, he's third or fourth tier even. But it's benefiting from these situations that allows a sprinter like this to win. A situation where other sprinters aren't positioned well, where he's able to position himself well and therefore can gain these victories. And I'd say all the power to him if he's able to achieve it, because uh, the others didn't today. Yeah, I agree. He's just, you got to be in it to win it. And I'm guilty of it when I'm ranking sprinters. I'm like, well, Ewan's the fastest in ideal conditions, so Ewan's the best. In Italy, we don't have ideal sprint conditions or perfect runways (laughs) or whatever a lot of the time. And so you have to account for who can win in a messy sprint today was, and who wants it more? Bauhaus wanted to win this stage and was, is always going to, is willing to risk something more than Cavendish for a Torino Adriatico stage seven. And that matters. And you want to take a 50 50 risk, etc. I do think DeMar is looking better. I, I think Torino quite encouraging yeah. for FDJ with Pino and DeMar. Um, they just got to get their lead out sorted. Um, Agree. For and DeMar. it wasn't even that bad for DeMar today necessarily. He just had a bit of a. I'd argue that he was in a decent position to be competitive, yeah. but he just had the odds against him when it comes to his decision to go to the left. And also next to that, the fact that Kristoff stayed with the barrier and so forth. So the tiny details in a sprint, it's also part of luck, I dare to say, at some point. Pagancha takes out GC, of course, nearly two minutes ahead of Jonas. Landa third. I think that's a good... Jonas has to be happy with that, with a pretty shit yeah. TT at the start of the week. To come second, I think he should be happy with that. Yeah, as I said, Lander, Port fourth, Hindley very good, but these are huge gaps in a one-week race. Three minutes. Yeah. Aronsman, big points for DSM, 175. Sixth, best GC result of his career, I dare say. Caruso, seventh. Pino, eighth. Belbao, ninth. And Ciccone, tenth on the 403. Avonapol finishing 11th on 420. Uh, Pozzo. See, this is the thing with Pozzo Vivo. He still, still picked up 50 points yep. for 13th. I didn't see him once a week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was Toronto Adriatico. It was not nearly as interesting as the race last year, unfortunately. But that's, as we had that discussion the other day, additions, ebb and flow. Um, yeah, it just, it just wasn't as good as last year. 
Anything else to say on Torino, Benji, before we do Drenta? Not really. That was it for uh, for Torino. <laughs> I I enjoyed the race, but it was clear that one rider was better in GC than the others, and that came true throughout throughout the entire race. I think that Roglic and Pogacar should be a. Uh, it shouldn't be legal for them to ride different races all year. Ronde van Drenthe, 156Ks. It's a world tour race for the women. It's They do the Vanberg. It's like the, a few times. And it, the last rep, the 500-meter rubbish dump climb in the Netherlands, 4.2%, is with 13.5Ks to go. It was all about could teams like Jumbo Visma and SD Works put Lerner Vivas under pressure. We know she is out and out the best sprinter in the world. We have Trek here for Balsamo, uh, the world champion. Bastianelli is in magic form for UA Team ADQ. And that is what happened on the Vanberg. Uh, I think it was Rihanna Marcus pacing really hard on the Vanberg, trying to put DSM under pressure. And then a group of uh, Anushka Costa, Sarah Roy, who had crashed, and a couple of other riders went clear. But DSM Benji, the women's team is the opposite of the men's at the moment. They, they're just dialed in. Fight for Georgie on the front, chasing that back. Yeah, indeed. And it's, it's something we saw last year, like you mentioned again. And it seems like when it comes to the Van Berg, it's weird because Wibbers on the cobble hills in the classics and so forth. I'm more scared than when she arrives at the Vanberg, for example, in the Ronde van Drenthe. And I think it's perhaps because the Vanberg is so far apart in this race where you've got the time to recover in between and not necessarily directly have to go up a next climb. Or what do you see as the thing in this race that makes this more possible than a race like, I don't know, an example here, a Brugge de Pollen necessarily? Or, well, can we him? Yeah, but I think she can actually achieve that at some point. True. Um, it's probably what you said. Like, there's so... Also, probably not the strongest teams at Trenta last couple mm-hmm. of years. Like, she won last year and DSM could boss the race. Like, if there's Voss, Van Vleuten and co attacking yeah. on Van Berg, I don't know if Pfeiffer George is bringing that back. So, I think that plays into it as well but yeah that group got brought back Hosking was working for Balsamo which is Balsamo faster in a flat sprint than Hosking well I'd argue yes I have more confidence in Balsamo than Hosking personally as in consistency at the moment yeah but it's also prettier if she wins in a world champs jersey true (laughs) Uh, it might be a form thing as well. Like last year, I think in one of those Norway stages, like Hosking is very, very fast, but maybe she's not in top form. Bosmo's maybe in better condition right now, but she was working for Bosmo leadouts lining up for Ronda van Drenthe. But unfortunately, like her strike rate is incredible. We've mentioned this many times. She's one of the most valuable assets in cycling with the stage one of the Tour de France Femme avec Swift coming up. If you go to a finish with Rena Vibers, you're going to lose like 90% of the time, except when Bolsonaro beat her, I think, in women's yeah. tour last year. And she got the lead out. Uh, no, not really, actually. She just came off Hosking's lead out of Bolsonaro, jumped ahead, and just destroyed everybody easily. Once again in the sprint, no, they even gave her a one second gap ahead of Balsamo, which I'm not sure about that. Uh, Kopecky third. She said the best she could do is third behind those two burners. Clara Coponi fourth, Bastianelli fifth, Alice Barnes sixth, Consoni 
seventh, Nina Kessler eighth, Yip van den Bosch ninth, and Roy tenth, which was pretty solid after that move and also, I think, crashing. But, yeah, I just think Lorena Vibas is, is still the best sprinter in the world in the women's peloton and there's, there's not much more to say in that regard. Yep. I think, yeah, any, any other surprises here, Benji? Caponi, a pretty good result. Yeah, I feel like Caponi has been, uh, outside of that tactical thing at the end of La Samer, a very consistent rider this year, 15 Omelope, 16 Hageland, 15 Le Samet, and 4th in Ronde van Drenthe. It's a matter of time before she gets to a moment where she can actually sprint for a victory against sprinters that are not necessarily the Wibbers of this world. So uh, I'm uh, I'm high on Clara Caponi, and uh, yeah, she's one of my favorite female cyclists because she's a young rider, 23, uh, first of all is on FDG, so not necessarily the strongest team out there, which is also a a part of me supporting outsiders. And she's also consistent enough to believe that she can actually break through at a certain point and make that move. We saw her in, was it Women's Tour last year, where she got four top five or something, something like that. So it's a matter of time. And I'm eagerly waiting to see that pay off in the end. Stiff in Omloop this year, third in Women's Tour GC last year. A win is clearly coming. She just keeps running into Vibers and... Bastianelli Norsgaard. I think I think she's going to take a win in like Tour of Norway sprint, something like that, coming up this year. She's at Danilith Nikita Kursa in a few days, midweek. That's a strong field, by the way. We will see there. Kopecky Bastianelli, Vibers doing it all again. Grace Brown, Voss. That's one to tune into. A stronger field relatively compared to the men's race. Susanna Anderson on You Know X, they're there as well. So Yep, that's one to watch. Uh, we'll have, I think we'll have a note on the results from that during the week. But yeah, that was a big week of cycling for me and Benji. An easier one next week. As I said, we have Milano Sanremo preview dropping me in midweek, then the big monument on the Saturday. Otherwise, we'll, uh, we'll maybe set up an interview or something, but no promises. Hope you enjoyed all the coverage last week and we'll see you later. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 